Hey, hi. Oh, we're recording. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. No, it's fine. Did it not do I, the countdown on your end? I was. I wasn't looking. Oh. <laughs> You got other things to do. Well, I was trying to get my notes up. Oh, (laughs) I have a really exciting story. I thought I would try out a, it's called a hair waver. Hmm. It's essentially a crimper. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Because the kids these days, yeah, the kids these days look kind of cute with crimped hair. Unfortunately, I looked like Anne Hathaway before the makeover in Princess Diaries. <gasps> oh, no. That's why my hair is up. My hair is never up. That's why my hair is up. Yikes. It was not good. It was yikeronies. A lot of those trends from our childhood, like style trends, hair trends, barrettes. Mm-hmm. I've seen um, my first slap bracelets in probably 15 years, maybe more like 20 years. They've returned. I've seen them... Very recently, but that's because the girls have come home with slap bracelets for like the past couple of years. It's all coming back. Did they ever leave? <laughs> I mean, another question, another time. But this is actually a very appropriate, I feel like, topic to segue into the actual subject of today's episode. I am strangely a little nervous about it. Oh. There's a lot, there's a lot to cover, but you know, you know this topic because I sent you some gorgeous clips. So I'm going to let the listeners, <laughs> AKA mom, Justin, Beth, and sometimes my other friends, whoop, whoop. Thanks guys. We're talking about the heiress, the model, a DJ, reality star, it girl. And this might surprise some people, an activist. We're talking about Paris Hilton. It's about to get hot. So hot. It's so hot. I was surprised that you were doing this one, to be honest. So I'm excited. I, okay, so you know how I was like, hey, tell me what topic I should pick because I can't pick a topic. Mm -hmm. And you dissed all of mine. It's fine. (laughs) Well, I kept going back and forth between a handful of them. And for some reason, I was just, I was not feeling any of them. And Mm -hmm. Paris Hilton's memoir, which I reference, like the majority of this episode is going to be me referencing this memoir. I just saw it. And I was like, oh, that's funny. It's a Paris Hilton memoir. Interesting. And I got a little sample of it. I read the first few pages and was like, holy shit. Oh, amazing. It's really good. I read it in two days. Wow. Like binged it. And that's when I was like, this is going to be a really fascinating topic. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to do things a little differently than we normally do, which is where like normally, you know, it's like, here's a bunch of history. And then we kind of get into what we remember. But I think for my journey revisiting Paris Hilton, I was really surprised and also almost at times, no, not almost straight up at times disappointed in myself. And I had a real journey so I, that's why I want to structure it this way. So enough uh, blabbering about that. Tell me, what do you remember about Paris fucking Hilton? Mostly I remember the simple life with her and Nicole Ricci of them being put on a farm or something. And it was basically like, oh, look how stupid these girls are. So yeah, The Simple Life, we'll have a little background on this. The Simple Life premiered on Fox in 2003, and it ran until 2007. And what was kind of incredible about The Simple Life started and at the same time, like really revolutionized reality TV. We would not have the reality TV, for better or for worse, that we have today. We definitely wouldn't have the Kardashians, the reality TV show, but also I feel like them as people in the spotlight like they are. So it's fascinating because I also remember very much, I remember Paris Hilton from 
The Simple Life. And the premise of the show is Paris Hilton and her best friend, Nicole Richie, both very, very wealthy at that mm-hmm. time that they're like Paris is 19-ish. Okay. So they're still, they're like very young adults, still teenagers, though, or at least Paris is. I didn't look up how old Nicole Richie was, but I'm going to assume it's about the same age because they went to, they've known each other, I think, since like middle school. Oh, I didn't know Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And they get put in pretty much just like common everyday jobs. There was one season where they went on a tour in this like, it was actually pretty fucking incredible. It's like this hot pink truck with a little caravan attached to it. And there's this clip I was watching and dying to where they have to pay the toll, but they don't have money on them. So they just start walking up to people and asking them for money. And of course, a lot of guys are like handing over money. But even like women are like, people are just like confused and also <laughs> amused. But the first episode, yeah, they go to like middle America somewhere. And it's just like them working fast food jobs. Or there's one where they're working and they were like they're pretty much like making sausages and it's just like them causing chaos what i didn't know at the time and i really haven't revisited the show since then as we know now reality tv despite the name is very scripted then though because nobody really had seen this before knew what it was people didn't understand how scripted it was and it actually is incredibly scripted Nicole Richie and Paris Hilton aren't really playing themselves. They're playing characters, which I didn't really know. I didn't either. So at the point before that, Paris Hilton was somewhat famous just because, yes, her her family is filthy rich. And she says that in the book and she acknowledges that. She has like a thing where she's like, look at me acknowledging my privilege. Like, I know I'm incredibly privileged and incredibly wealthy. I know this. Mm-hmm. So in her teen years, you know, there'd be like a little bit of paparazzi in like New York grabbing some photos because she was a young teenage girl who is super rich sneaking out to like go to clubs and parties and whatnot. But this is what really catapulted her into fame. And so when she was contacted by Fox, they kind of wanted to develop this character with her and her character is supposed to be just like this airhead blonde. Mm -hmm. And then Nicole Richie was supposed to be the troublemaker. And the whole point of the show was putting them in these everyday situations that people in their social status would not be in, like working at a fast food restaurant or helping somebody change their oil or whatnot. And it was pretty much like create as much chaos as possible and make it as funny as possible. And they were working like 16 to 18 hour days. So why did they market it as a reality show? Uh, that That is a really great question. And I actually, I don't know. I think though, it's kind of like most reality show is still scripted. Well, true. Yeah. It just seems like this one, they went about it as like, you're not playing yourselves, you're playing a character. It's just interesting. Yeah. And I didn't mean that like, you have to give me the answer. No, I'm no just I get like, that. <laughs> I'm more curious, like why, I guess, because it's more entertaining if it's, oh, these two are just, this is how they are. Well, I think too, because then it gives them the freedom to, I mean, it's not like every single thing was scripted. You know, it's like it gives them the freedom to improvise and kind of go wild with these characters. But also if it was scripted, then everybody in small town America or everybody at this little bakery or whatever, like you would be casting people. You wouldn't just having them react, you know, so it's. Yeah, that's true. That'd be a very different show. So Mm -hmm. it is reality TV, but Paris Hilton, the character she created, I'm not going to say none of it is based on her or not. But what's really interesting now is watching the clips and you know that like really high pitched, like breathy baby. Yeah. That is not her real voice. I mean, thank she goodness. She created it for that character. Because that's what I remember most about her. 
her voice is actually it's a little lower what's funny is i think like her her real voice is sexier than this like little baby doll breathy um mm-hmm. but she had she'd used that voice before and then she kind of used it for the character and it got to the point where she got so comfortable and used to using it while she was on camera and because of other things in her life that character became almost a safe place to exist in okay she kept kind of, you know, using it sometimes. And what, what's interesting is there's a few clips where, so, so in one of the episodes, they're in this small town. And they said, by the way, that the budget wasn't huge by any means, but it was a lot of money for the small town to be getting. Okay. And so they were saying people were actually like really stoked to have them there and that they really did like the people and like the families. But one of the scenarios was, I think one of the guys who actually like real person lives in the town he had asked them to pick something up from a, I'm trying to think of, I, I can't think of the name of the store, but it would be something like, not exactly Ace Hardware, but like Tractor okay. Supply Co. type of thing. Sure. And if I remember correctly, they went there and then like they maybe picked up the thing, but also got a lot of weird shit and came back and he goes to the house and is like, I, I need this $120 back. Like I need you to return to the thing. But the plan was Nicole and Paris came up with the idea that Nicole would cry and pretend her dog was dead. And she was like too emotional to do this. To try and get out of it because they knew they were going to be getting in trouble. So she like splashes water on her face, goes to the door, talks with the guy and he's being really nice. And he's like, I'm really sorry about your dog, but like, I need that money. And Paris is just like hiding and cracking up during it. But then at one point, Paris actually gives him her AMX card number and she goes from her like baby voice to it's just so interesting because it's it seems like she stops acting there because she seems to understand that okay they did this prank but also like for somebody in the situation like for her she said at one point her truck is like five hundred thousand dollars so for her a hundred and twenty dollars is truly nothing but i think it kind of seemed like she understood that they can't really fuck around with somebody's actual money and so she was very much like she like wrote it down and was like here give this to him Oh, type of thing. And I mean, he ended up saying he didn't think the co-op could take AMX, but uh, he was like, so I'll just need you guys to figure that out. But it, it seemed to me like she slipped out of character and said something like, I don't give a fuck about the money. It's $120, like whatever. Here, do this. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because she did seem concerned and she wasn't using that like fake high pitched voice. Yeah, that's interesting that she switched out of that. It was interesting in general, like watching. I mean, first of all, the show is still hilarious. There are <laughs> okay. things. I watched so many clips, so many clips. Um, there are things that now you could not do. I mean, comedy in the early 2000s was a lot less considerate. Mm, yeah. So there's some fat shaming. They laugh at and kind of make fun of somebody's accent when they're pronouncing a word differently and whatnot. And there are things like that that oh, okay. really were uncomfortable watching. But in 2000s, that was kind of, I'm not saying it was okay then, but overall, it didn't have the reaction that most people I think would have now. Like then it was sure. kind of accepted as it's just a joke. Don't worry. It was. I mean, yeah, that's just the way it was. The show is actually... Like I said, I watched a bunch of clips and it was actually still overall incredibly funny. Yeah. I got a little off the rails. So we were talking about we remembered them from or remembered her specifically from The Simple Life. Mm -hmm. And then I'm sure you remember the car and the Carl Jr.'s burger. Oh, now that you say that, yes. 
ish, little bit. But why am I thinking Kim Kardashian too? I honestly, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised, I guess, if Kim Kardashian or another it girl uh-huh. type of person did something like that. Because for instance, like there was this dress that Paris Hilton had designed for her and she wore it for her 21st birthday. And then when one of the Kardashians turned 21, they wore like an homage to that dress. Okay. So I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be surprised if there was another burger with another extremely rich woman in a commercial somewhere. But yeah, that was uh, the Carl's Jr. commercial from 2014. So I remember that because it's just a weirdly sexy burger in a car. I had forgotten. And I'm looking it up right now because I need, I just need like a quick. Oh, we'll link it places. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, we can take a little pause for you to watch. Let's Thank both take you. a little pause and okay. watch. Thank you so much. The thick burger. Thick burger. The thick, thick burger. burger. I swear, I think thick Kim burger. Kardashian. Oh, it comes up too. Kim Kardashian did do a burger commercial as well. Yes. It's Carl's Jr. too. That's so funny. That's so yeah, hot. That's that's so hot and that's so not an accident. <laughs> that's good tagline. That's so not an accident. <laughs> Speaking of Kim K, mm. uh, they did know each other. Before Paris Hilton got real famous, when she was still a teenager, her parents were, of course, friends with very, very famous and wealthy people. And there's pictures of her as a little kid being like, oh, hey, Michael Jackson, because he's a family friend type of thing. So, yeah, that's so so somebody (laughs) super famous that I can't remember because they're not their name was not important to me, um, (laughs) had gotten them into this really cool club when she I think it was she and her younger sister. She's the oldest of four kids in the Hilton family. She has a sister who's, I think, approximately three years younger named, uh, she goes by Nikki. And then she has two younger brothers who are quite a bit young, like 10 10 plus years younger than her, if I'm remembering correctly, named, um, oh, oh no. (laughs) Oh dear. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) I knew it. One of her brothers is named Baron because I believe it is an uncle. And the other brother, I had their names down, which is why I didn't write them down. And now I'm like, well, I am a <laughs> it's fool. Gone. Do you want me to look it up? Oh, uh, Baron and Conrad. Richie Rich names. Conrad Hilton is the one who started the Hilton Hotels empire. Ew. And there's a quote, which, well, you can see her dad say it. Her parents are Richard and Kathy. You can see her father say it in, it's a documentary called This Is Love or, no, Paris and Love. Sorry, I'm trying to do this without my notes. I don't know why. Paris and Love, (laughs) where he says that his father used to be known for being Conrad Hilton's son. And now he's known for being Paris Hilton's grandfather, (laughs) which is just kind of kind of funny, kind of cheeky. Right. And then her grandmother, so cute on her mom's side, they called Graham Cracker. (gasps) Oh, I love that. And Graham Graham Cracker, Cracker. Graham Cracker was a single mom with three daughters that she got into modeling. And like, I mean, she raised her kids, you know, she took care of shit. How did you say she was a single mom without singing the Reba song? That's why my (laughs) eyes got real big. We don't have the rights to the Reba song. Okay, well, just think about it. Think about it here, because every time I hear "Single Mom," it just I oh. immediately 
<laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's just what happens in my brain. <laughs> Briefly, Paris was sent to live with her. And this is where we get into some stuff that might be a little surprising. Uh-oh. And also, this episode probably needs trigger warnings, unfortunately. Okay. All right. We'll have to put them in the episode description. You may or may not expect. I did not expect. Okay. So sad stuff now? Well, let's let's do some trivia and then let's go be sad. Okay. So none of these you are going to know and that's fine. Great. Um, they're just kind of fun facts. Well, you might know one. All right. This first one you're probably not going to know. What was her childhood nickname? Hmm. Okay. Let's stick with the snack theme. And I'm going to say it was, oh, shoot. What are those little, those little puffy pink? You're not getting it by my hand doing this. Yeah, (laughs) your hand making that kind of gropey motion. No, I'm not not sure what you mean there. They're not snowballs. They're, uh, you know, never mind. Babs. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, No? shockingly, no. That was not. Her nickname was Star. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of cute in her in her home yeah. videos. Her dad is calling her that. And it's it's kind of cute. Huh. Uh, this one is super fun. What career did she want to have as a kid? Not like a career as a kid, but when she <laughs> not, got older. <laughs> not child labor. Not child labor. Uh, veterinarian. Oh shit, yeah. What? How did you know that? <laughs> I yeah. Didn't know that. <laughs> oh. I didn't know it. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome! Yeah, she loved and still loves animals. And as a little girl, she and her dad seemed to have they've had a very close relationship when she was younger. And he would often take her to like the pet store or whenever she was like if she was being uh, watched by an aunt or something, she'd always beg to go to the pet store. And so she has had as pets, she's had a monkey, a goat. She tried to hide the goat on her grandfather's, was it like a golf course or something? I don't know. She tried to hide the goat on his property. <laughs> you can't and hide did, a goat. <laughs> you can't hide a goat. No, I think she figured that out. Um, she's had yeah. ferrets. She's had snakes. She's had rats. She's oh, wow. obviously had dogs and cats. Yeah, she has had a ton of animals and is a big fan and I believe advocate. I should have looked that up, but I think you'll understand why some of these facts I don't have as down as what we're going to get to later because mm-hmm. I was like a lot of this stuff you can find on Wikipedia. Yeah. And although we use Wikipedia often in these episodes. So much. This episode, I mean, it's not going to be like, is this person still valid? Cause that's like kind of a gross way to phrase it for a living human. Yeah. But it's more of looking at who she presented herself as or also like how the media presented her as, mm-hmm. who we thought she was and how we responded to that from, you know, decades ago to like who really is Paris Hilton. And so a lot of the stuff of like, when was she born and stuff? I'm like, look, that's not who she is. You can Google that. It's on Wikipedia. Yeah, that's pretty easy to find. She's an Aquarius there. Ooh, I figured out today I don't jive with Aquarius. Ooh. I know. How come? That it's just like a Taurus Aquarius thing. We just don't. Mm, well. Also, my my husband's sign and I are not great. They're not compatible. Oh, what is what is his sign? He's a Leo. Ugh. <laughs> I mean no, look. lion and bull. It's like, I don't know why I didn't figure that out before. <laughs> No, I, it's funny. My um, practically my ex-wife. Um, <laughs> she she's a Leo. 
And so, no, I do. Oh, Leo's Leo's are okay. excellent. It's just like they're a lot. Mm-hmm. They can. This be. is also to say, do I believe in astrology? No, except when it's right, and then it's just fun <laughs> and let people have fun. <laughs> exactly. Let girls like things. I'm not putting that much stock into it, but I did go down a zodiac rabbit hole today. So it's interesting that you say she's an Aquarius because that was one of the ones that was like Taurus and Aquarius don't really get along. Ooh, we should see. We should uh, check ours. Taurus and Sagittarius. Oh, uh, Sagittarius and Taurus are also a little bit like, mm, maybe not. Yeah, that's kind of what I recall. Yeah. I read, sorry, quick tangent. Uh, my <laughs> ADHD meds are wearing off. I don't, I can't remember if it was a post on Reddit or something, but it was like, hey, this isn't hate. This is genuinely wondering, like, why do people, especially women, seem to love astrology? Like, what the fuck is, what is it about? Yeah. And I saw this really good response. I'm sorry I can't credit who said it, but their thought was that people always are trying to look for answers in Mm -hmm. the world. And that's, you know, why a lot of people gravitate towards religion. But they pointed out that a lot of religion, if not maybe all, are very, like, not safe places for women. And women don't have power in them. They don't hold women up. Mm -hmm. That astrology is like, kind of a safe space of spirituality, if you want to call it spirituality, but it provides answers without being like, also, don't be a whore. <laughs> right. It's not judgmental. Yeah. It's- that's interesting. That's a really interesting point. And I'm like, I think that's probably pretty legit of because yeah. I am not religious because of the rampant homophobia and sexism. And I'm like, show me a religion that doesn't have that. And I would be ecstatic. <laughs> and what I love is that if I also, I also, I mean, I don't believe in any of it. I mean, that's part of why, but fair enough. That's a pretty big reason. I'm like, if people can believe in their very problematic religions, I'm like, then let some girl enjoy her pumpkin spice latte and checking up on her horoscope, you know, just yes. Let girls like things that don't hurt you. Right. Who cares? Oh, as I'm yelling, one more horoscope thing. I I really am not actually that into no. them. It just happened to come up today, strangely enough. I find them fun. I, they are fun. And there's a fun page on Instagram that I slash we started following this week because it's our page. It's called horror.scoops. And hmm. this person illustrates and makes up horoscopes. Would you like to know yours today? Yes. Okay. Let me find it. Um, it does say... It says, holy woolly, you've got an idea tinkering in your brain bun. This precious mind baby longs to breathe the fresh air of this weird world. So begin, begin a few blundering steps towards setting it free. Oh my God. Today I made a book press and I've painted my first book end. (gasps) Okay. Well, and I've been wanting to do that for a while. Okay. Astrology is real. We solved it. It is real. We know now. So you're welcome. And you do need to look at the illustration at some point because they're beautiful. And I love Absolutely well. Okay. Another another thing. <laughs> it was either this person or another person who had that smart, smart comment about pretty much feminism and whatnot. They pointed out as well, maybe it was somebody else. I don't know. Somebody smarter than me pointed out that another thing that's really nice is that even if you don't believe in astrology as like a spiritual thing or as like being this real sort of magic-y science, whatever, it still makes you look inwards. And Mm. some people really enjoy that because even if like you're looking through your profile or something and you're like, not all of this stuff is real, but if things resonate and then you start looking at what's good and bad and reflecting, then it's, yeah, then it's like a good self-reflection thing. And I was like, huh, hadn't thought of that. 
I just yeah. like how Sagittarius is awesome all the time. Everybody always gives us pretty high rankings in TikToks, so that's nice. Anywho, <laughs> I guess we should probably get back to our topic. Yeah. My final question is, do you remember Paris Hilton's OG Chihuahua's name? Oh, shoot. Ye- I know uh, you know it. Tinkerbell. Yes. yes. Damn, you're... Two out of three. I think this is the best I've ever done on trivia. And I did not expect that. Truly. I was shocked. But I I am shocked. Not was. (laughs) I was shocked just a second ago. (laughs) (laughs) I did have kind of an obsession with Tinkerbell. So I feel like that's kind of why I remember it. That might have also subconsciously influenced like the vet thing. Because I do remember her and her dog all the time. But I had no idea she had all those other pets. You made an educated guess, and I was delighted by it, and I still am delighted by it. Me too. That's Taurus energy right there. <sighs> it is. It's so Taurusy of you. <laughs> now, are you ready to be a sad Taurus? Yes. Okay. So this, I, I, I forgot, I guess I did put in her birthday, so you don't have to wiki that. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> Paris Hilton was born February 17th. 1981 to Kathy and Richard Hilton. Uh, she is the great granddaughter of Hotel. Whoops. I meant to put mogul, but I put mongrel. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hotel, Hotel mogul Conrad Hilton. And thusly, she was brought up in a world of luxury, privilege, wealth, but also very high expectations. Mm-hmm. And here's a quote. I'm going to read a few quotes from her book. This one is, there's a hierarchy and these are the rules in my family. If you don't talk about a thing, it's not a problem. If you hide how deeply something hurt you, it didn't happen. If you pretend not to notice how deeply you hurt someone else, you don't have to feel bad about it. Oof, that's yucky. And this is a very present theme throughout her memoir. Okay. And I think if... I think potentially if you were hearing that quote now, you might be like, wow, she just sounds like a spoiled brat. Like that's such a, you don't have to take responsibility. Okay. First of all, look, I am not uber fans of the rich in general because I don't trust people with a ton of money, but having a lot of money doesn't make you a bad person. It also doesn't mean you cannot be traumatized, abused, or neglected, or have bad things happen to you. It might mean you have resources to recover or to prevent things, or to better heal and respond, but not necessarily. So that's why that quote makes me really sad, because can you imagine, like, with your little girls, just being like, if something bad happens to you, just, like, pretend it doesn't. No. And then you don't have to, there's no problem. No, as soon as you read that out, I just started getting, like, more and more sick to my stomach, because immediately I was like, that is a really, really bad precedent to set in a family it's dangerous like i don't i don't think that is i don't think that's an over exaggeration to say it is dangerous and in this case i would say it absolutely was and unfortunately we'll we'll be going into that so if all you know about paris hilton is from the shit storm that was 2000 celebrity news then like i said this quote from her memoir might sound like an excuse to be shitty and it might sound incredibly privileged and in some cases it probably could be but in the context of her life like i'm saying you learn a lot about unfortunately trauma and predation and before we kind of get into that we're going to lay a little bit of groundwork when she was a teenager 
like young, young teenager. I forgot to finish the story. So a family friend got her, I believe her younger and her younger sister into a club and they ran into her aunt Kathy there and her aunt Kathy pulled the family friend. It was a woman pulled her to the side and was like, um, what the fuck? They're like, you know, 13 or 14 or whatever. And this though moment felt so cool. Like it felt so cool to like be with somebody and just like, they just got in. Like Uh it was obvious they were underage. They weren't, they just got in. And so she talks about how she tried to recreate this with, I think it was Khloe Kardashian where they like tried to like look older and they like go to this club and the club was like, no, like, no, you're not getting in. (laughs) So a lot of the stories early on are kind of, sure, you could be like, oh, this rich girl is sneaking out because she's so bored. But I'm like, I th- I think a lot of teenagers, I mean, you used to sneak out of the house. Yeah. No, I think that's a pretty relatable teen experience. Like the clubs they were sneaking to might have been maybe not your typical places, but I don't think that's necessarily just a a rich kid thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think in some cases too, like I don't think it was always just like these really fancy clubs. She really just loved to dance. And she said at the time, like she didn't need alcohol or drugs. She was just there. Like she felt so alive and she just loved going to these things. But understandably she's like at the time as a teenager she was like I know I'm going to come back home and stuff I don't know why my parents are freaking out I'm not doing drugs or anything like that but you know as an adult now because she's in her 40s her early 40s which is crazy to think right uh she is like I understand why they were so scared yeah you know if you like expect your 13 year old daughter to be home and then you find out like she snuck out to go with some friends to a you know go dance even if there aren't drugs and alcohol involved it would still be scary Mm -hmm. well and even if she's being you know quote-unquote responsible and just going there to dance not everybody is going there just to dance so you know you don't want her to get hurt by somebody else. Exactly. And that was one of the things she talked about that like every now and then the paparazzi would like Mm. snag some pictures of her and stuff. And she actually found it sort of comforting because she was like, there's evidence I've been here. You know, if if somebody creepy tries to jump out, these guys just got a photo of me. She was always actually really friendly to them. And they seemed actually pretty friendly. And at least at that point, not super intense it was like they'd grab you know a picture of her she had some shoes where she could like roller skate in them <gasps> um oh, i always yeah, wanted those shoes ones. like that i know me too i feel like her brand like had a cooler brand than heelys but they were kind of i think like heelys oh my gosh and so she ends up telling her mom about this and her mom is freaked out because her mom is seeing it as like what if if somebody sees these pictures a 13 year old heiress is a great kidnapping target Yeah. Yeah. Very good point. So her mom was like concerned about that. And then her parents were concerned about the family name. Mm -hmm. What I gathered is image is very, very important to this family. And Paris Hilton said in her memoir that she and her sister were brought up very much to be modest and to be good girls. And they went, they had like lessons and, and uh, the whole shebang. And it seemed more comfortable for her sister than her. Okay. She talks about her early teenage years sneaking out and partying. There's this really good quote that says, we were just exploring. What is it like to feel sexy? What does sexy even mean? Totally valid questions for teenage girls to be investigating. But it's problematic when girls go into that exploratory phase feeling secretive and ill-informed. 
If the message you send is, we don't talk about such things, then guess what? Your kids move towards adulthood with the idea that being an adult means keeping secrets. Mm. Reading that the idea that being an adult means keeping secrets makes me feel real sick, especially knowing what happens. Because I'm not a parent, but you would hope that, you know, with like with your kids, I'm sure that you want them to know that no matter what, they don't have to have secrets from you, that they can tell you anything and you're going to listen and be there. And even if they're not at this age yet, but like if they snuck out and were drinking, I am sure you would rather them call you than to be like, I have to hide this and then maybe try and like drive drunk or go with somebody who is right. Like a classic. And then it can start also going into other territories. So when she was 14, she was going to the school that had like a super sexy teacher that she calls Mr. Abercrombie. (laughs) And he paid a lot of attention to Paris. Oh, no. He was a 14-year-old child, and he got her landline so he could call her, and he was very good at being a predator mm-hmm. because he really talked up just, she's so mature for being 14, you know, and how smart she is and how beautiful, and he would ask uh, every night, are your parents home? And every night her parents would be home until the one night they weren't and he told her well guess what i'm outside your house so she gets in the car and this part like it makes me sick but it was passionate kissing and her parents pull up and they see it and she says she's just like her parents have like shocked faces and then the the pedophile teacher yeah um mr abercrombie tears out of there with her in his car (gasps) and he starts freaking out and crying and what a pussy sorry well no it's infuriating in the book she says uh i believe he was like talking about how his life is ruined Uh, and like why did she make him do that and all of these things and then eventually he see this part like freaked me out because when he takes off with her i was like oh my god where is this child going yeah um and he does bring her back and um my feelings about paris hilton's parents are intense Mm -hmm. um they did not press charges i knew you were gonna say that i knew you were gonna say that paris is very she's very forgiving in this book towards them You know, she said that they probably didn't want it to get out, but I just really struggle with that. And then naturally kids at school, you know, start rumors and stuff. She was kicked out of a lot of schools, but this was the beginning of parenting choices that I really struggle to, that I just, I really struggle to understand understand and accept. I'm just trying to put all this together in my head this horribleness it's yeah i yeah if i read every quote from this book that i wanted to it would practically be like a book on tape (laughs) but there's this i wasn't going to include this one but i i am so upset like revisiting this uh, part in her story i think this is a powerful quote that i might i might read too one is mr ambercrombie made me believe that i was rare and precious and you know what i was 
Every eighth grade girl is rare and precious. Every eighth grade girl is a treasure, like a priceless work of art. And you'd like to think that every eighth grade teacher will be there like a security guard in an art gallery. He's not there to enjoy the beauty. He's there to protect it. He's there to enforce the rules. The number one is do not touch. Keep your fingers, lips, and man bits off the masterpiece. It should be obvious that the girl with a pearl earring deserves a chance to smile her wistful smile without some creepy guy feeling her up. Because damage to that precious work of art can be hidden, but it can never be undone. Oh my gosh. I'm going to have to read this memoir. So I I read it. I have a little library app where I can check books out because it saves me a lot of money. But this is one that I'm like, I am absolutely buying this one. It was incredible. And and she talks about how like casting him. So she says, casting him in the role of child molester meant casting myself in the role of victim. And I just couldn't go there. That's just hideous. And that's what happens, especially with kids that age as they take on all of that themselves. And it's just horrible. I just I hate that so much. It's another thing too, that I think is really important of how her parents respond is not only about keeping him from doing this to another child or, or whatnot, but it's like your kids are watching you. Yeah. And I just think being like the family name means more, even if they thought they were protecting her in some way, because it was like, well, you know, we know, well, well, he'll never be able to like get to you again or anything like that, but we don't want you to have to go through like the embarrassment or whatever. It's just, I do not understand it and I'm not okay with it. No, no, same. This story is unfortunately followed up with another bad one. She describes herself as actually an introvert. I think even like specifically like an extroverted introvert. And she says like she's relatively shy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So along with this horrible experience with this predator, a year later, she and I believe some friends are at the mall. And there are these guys who are like early 20s, I believe, who are hanging out and seem super cool and hot because they're like, you know, they're adults and whatnot. Eventually... She and a friend go to their place and you can read about it in detail, but she is roofied and raped by one of the men when she is 15. And when she wakes up and this was when she had been sent to because she'd been kicked out of a lot of schools for partying and just like not doing her schoolwork. Mm -hmm. This had been when she was sent to live with Graham Cracker and um she talks about like trying to leave and he's there and really she can tell he's really freaked out about like do you remember anything and she just pretends not to and is like no i just like fell asleep and and just like playing it really cool because she's terrified like what will happen of course that was probably she is really again smart a, on her part yeah she is a 15 year old child who was raped oh by a gosh. man an adult man who is now blocking the door for her to leave the following morning. And so already these are two, I mean, age 15, these are two incredibly violent, traumatic experiences Mm -hmm. around sexuality and consent. And her family is pretty conservative. And so her plan was waiting until marriage. And I'm just real quick, I'm not saying that if you were sexually assaulted, that counts. I'm just, no, no, no. I just mean that like, she talks about in her book how it's kind of funny how she's like this huge sex symbol because she especially after a lot of these traumatic events she was not comfortable with sex it was emotionally just painful and horrible yeah because unfortunately things keep getting worse oh gosh i don't know 
if you've heard about the troubled teen industry. No. Well, I know you have because we've watched. Well, we've watched, you know, the camps that oh, Dr. Phil. Maury and all that. Dr. Phil. And yeah, Dr. Phil is not a doctor. Fucking Phil. The troubled teen industry is really fucked up. Mm-hmm. Because one, it's like they're predators and they're preying on parents who are desperate to try and help their kids. You're getting a lot of taxpayer money in there and you're getting rich parents, you're getting poor parents. Mm -hmm. So they're getting tons of money from that. They're getting tons of taxpayer money. And there was a, uh, something I was reading about how like the government tried to do like a study on these, like, are they effective? Are they safe? There's been some deaths. And it was just like really hard to do because the regulations are different state to state and they're not regulated like a regular school would be or like a state hospital would be. Uh Uh-huh. Of course not. So Paris, the ones she had gone to are called CDU. CDU. I think is how you pronounce it. Provo and Ascent. And they're called emotional growth boarding schools oh no yeah they are they're not oh okay (laughs) they're just like abuse factories yeah sorry well so she talks about how she went to these from the ages of 16 to 18 with the first one seed you seed you i don't you know what it doesn't i'm struggling to c-e-d-u and i looked up how to it's one of those things that I can hear how to say it in my head, but uh-huh. sometimes speech things I have a I have a thing with sometimes being able to pronounce shit. But she gets sent to this one, and how this is set up is that so she's sixteen, and you know she'd been living with Graham Cracker for a bit, and then she went back and lived with her parents, and she's having actually a pretty good week with her family. Like things are feeling good, things are like good between her and her parents overall. In the middle of the night, she's woken up by a hand on her ankle, and then there is somebody covering her mouth. It's two adults in her bedroom, and they are pulling her out of bed. There are handcuffs, and they say, uh, we can do this the easy way or the hard way. What? Understandably, she is terrified and screaming and fighting for what she thinks is like fighting for her life. And honestly, when you hear about this fucked up place, she was fighting for her life. So she gets dragged out and she's calling for her parents. She is 16. And these are like two big ass guys. She's calling for her parents and she sees them like kind of peeking out of their doorway. And this is how she gets brought to this emotional no. growth boarding school. Yes. What the fuck? And if you think that like she's doing this for attention or you're like, this is bullshit. No, there are people who are not rich. There are people who are not public figures who can back this up. This is factual. This is one of the ways you can uh, have your child brought to these schools. Why? I just just leave it at why. Why would that be a good start? And how could you let two grown strangers come into your home, scare the hell out of your child, take her out of her bed, handcuff her. Okay. I just can't imagine hearing, I don't have kids, but I'm like imagining if I heard your kids 
Like I had a sleepover recently when I was in town with your kids and hearing your littlest sobbing for mommy just because like nothing was bad. She just like missed you. She was just homesick. She was homesick. But that made me sick. I cannot imagine them in an actual distressed. They think they're in danger and they are like they are. And you just like kind of watch and feel bad about it. Like I There are so many points in this where this is what frustrates me. There are so many points in this where they could have and should have stopped it. And I do not know how Paris Hilton has so much fucking grace, but she does because she she does give credit to these institutions. They are very, very good at manipulating parents. I'm yeah, and, I'm sure. And then they say that like, oh, your kid will call home and they'll lie. They'll say we're abusing them. We're not feeding them, blah, blah, blah. Just know that they will say any lie to try and get you to take them out. But it's a lie. You know, you have to stay strong. And this part is maybe the scariest. It's page 85 from her book. I was sound asleep at about 4.30 in the morning when my bedroom door crashed open and somebody tore the covers off me. A thick hand grabbed my ankle and dragged me off the mattress. I was instantly awake, hyper awake, in a state of panic, shrieking, struggling. My mind instantly went to the obvious. I'm about to be raped. I'm about to be murdered. And remember, this is happening after she has been molested and raped. And now this is happening. (sighs) Yeah, it's like they purposely chose the most traumatic way for her to be taken to this place. Exactly. Exactly. And she talks about, yeah, this part where she kind of like sees herself as if she's not there. So she she's talking in third person. She twists in uh, writhing terror, screaming, mom, dad, help me. And then I see my mom and dad. Their bedroom door is cracked open just enough for them to peek around the edge. Faces streaked with tears. They press against each other and watch as two strangers drag me out of the door into the darkness. Oh, my gosh. So she goes to, you know, I'm going to look up, pause, sorry. I'm going to look up how to say seed you because it seems disrespectful to not pronounce it, right? Okay. I hate this, by the way. Yeah. Was there a documentary about her recently too? Mm-hmm. Okay. This says it's just seed you. What have I been saying? Have I been saying that? I think you've been saying seed you. Or no, it's been C-do. close. Seed you. Seed you. All right. Back to the seed you. I have been saying it kind of weird, but it is a weird acronym thing. So she gets to Sidu, and there are like people in the room, including other teenagers, and it's not just like women in there or anything. And she is made to strip, and then they search her for weapons, including doing like a rectal search. They grabbed her out of bed. When did she have time to get a weapon? Yeah. What's really upsetting is that she kind of went on to learn that these searches were really just, they were sexual assault. Oh my Um, gosh. They were- They were just an excuse to grope the kids. Yeah. And to, like she says, sexual assault isn't usually really about sex. It's about power. So it was just asserting power over these children. Yeah. And she remembers, I mean, it was humiliating. It was terrifying. She's naked in a room with all these strangers and then having this happen to her. And the amount of times, I don't even know what to say, the the amount of times that like it ends up happening is so disgusting And I don't know how any of these adults can live with themselves. I mean, I don't understand it. So there was that. And then there are these things called rap, which it would be like every night, all of the kids and one of the 
adults there. They would like sit around, I think it was like sitting around a fire or something, but pretty much they'd sit outside and then, you know, somebody would start it and might just be like, Riley, uh, you didn't make your bed. And I know you don't make your bed because you're a lazy bitch and you're worthless and you never do any work and you never contribute. And then everybody would pile on. And if you didn't, you would be the next target. And it would go until kids were like sobbing and curling up in a ball. And then it would go on to the next. And what she says in her memoir is... um, These broken Sea-Doo people participated cruelty like a martial art, largely self-defense but lethal as needed. The person getting blown away would sit there with big, wounded, watery eyes, and for a moment, it was tempting to pounce. You wanted to feel safe, and there's a brittle shell of power in being a bully. But that shell of safety is weak and unstable, and what goes around comes around, so the bullies were more terrified than anybody else. The kids who did the hurting were just as damaged as the kids they victimized. Yeah, of course, because you don't want to be the next person that's getting it worse. So yeah, they're just teaching bullying. Oh, yeah. this is just, it's sick. Uh, well, and it, I mean, like psychological torture yeah. at one of these places, there was a girl where, because and they, they knew what was in everybody's file and stuff. So they would find the things that were the most painful. There was a girl who had been sexually assaulted by her uncle. So that was brought up during rap about how she was like a whore and tempted him. Oh and, my gosh. And these are, once again, these are children. Like, they're all under the age of 18. And terrifyingly, she finds this out later, but her parents gave, like, temporary rights to these facilities or, like, the people at them so they could make medical decisions and whatnot. Oh, good. Fucking hell. And so there are a number of times, and honestly, like, the amount of respect and awe I had because she ran away multiple times. And there's one that as an aunt makes me sick. It's one of the first times she runs away and she talks about how, hell yeah, she weaponized her baby voice to use it with one of the guys who wasn't as horrible as the others, like one of the guards. And she, uh, I think had just said something about like needing to use the bathroom. And then she escapes out a window and takes off. And this is in like, These places are in like Idaho, Montana. Like they're very rural. very isolated. Purposefully. So she takes off and in the story, she ends up running for like three miles. And she comes across a little, it was like a gas station or a a diner or something like that. And she ends up finding a telephone booth. And I guess this was one of the things that was kind of cool where she was like, all club kids know this secret that like, if you don't have money, if you just fiddle with something underneath like the phone box or whatever like you get the operator and so she did that because she obviously didn't have money she did that and she calls for her aunt and her aunt was it seems sort of like her aunt was only like 20s ish i believe like she was a younger aunt Mm -hmm. and she was like so relieved when her aunt answers and she's begging for her to come get her and come help her and her aunt says like she'll be right there and so paris ends up hiding in this building and she sees like cops come and go she sees people from sea come and go and then she realizes that her aunt called the cops and didn't come to get her and (sighs) a lot of these places have um relationships with law enforcement where even there's some kickbacks for bringing away back runaways so she gets brought back and the fucking adults there uh one of them she calls i think she calls her weasel face they like beat the shit out of her oh my gosh and she tries to escape 
and escapes in, in like a number of times. And she goes to, like I said, she went to Sidu, Provo, Ascent. One time she escapes with a girl that is like 14 or 15 and she makes it to LA and ends up leaving the girl there because like she is trying to get to New York to stay with a friend and he's like I can't have a minor with me like I can't and so she gives her all the money because she stole some money from like she was able to eventually see her parents and she stole money from her mom's purse and she hides it in her hair because in the book there's this really upsetting but powerful quote that she realized it would be safe to hide in her hair because they're not going to search her there because these searches are pretty much their sexual assault. They're about humiliation and whatnot. And so they're not going to search that area. So she was able to hide all the money in her hair because she knew they wouldn't look there. Oh my um, gosh. She makes it to New York and the friend has called her dad and they bring her back. There's another story where it's called like working the program. You have to work the program. And it's like, you get to see your family again. They have to do this stupid fucking hike through like Montana wilderness. And I'm like, there are grizzlies like Montana. What up? Sorry. This like so, so much of what they did is horrific that I guess this isn't the most horrific, but it's like, they have to do this intense hike by themselves with minimal supplies. The packs are like 80 or 90 pounds. And then they like make it to the end and it's supposed to be like hey you've graduated she gets there and weasel face is like congrats that's awesome and paris is of course like okay like when do i get to go home when do i get to see my family and she's like oh well don't worry like you just have one more year and then you can and so she thought this was the end oh my gosh dumb bitch and I'm, I'm not trying to dump all of this as like a gross torture porn type of thing. I no. don't want to be disrespectful. But when I think of how the media treated her, this yeah. was before The Simple Life. Right. Like when I think of how even I viewed her and then mm-hmm. being like, I'm not telling these stories because I think people should pity her. I think they should honestly be in awe of her. Oh, I am already. I, I had no idea. And it does make me feel like complete and utter shit for the ideas I've had about her in the past. Same. I I think that, I mean, understandably, she didn't come out with all of this stuff until very recently. There was that documentary. Okay. It originally wasn't going to go into this, but she felt very comfortable with the director, the woman who, who made it, and they started unpacking this. And then she wanted to be very honest in her memoir Because she said, you know, she talks about how, like, there are people who might need to hear this. Yeah. And particularly, she talks about how a lot of, like, girls and women need to hear this. So the cavity searches, as I've talked about, are, sorry to jump back, but those were obviously just sexual assault. Mm -hmm. Um, There was one place where all of a sudden they were like, oh, we have to do vaginal cavity searches now. (laughs) And she points out how uh, all of a sudden you would have to get one at if you like really piss somebody off. Yeah, so it was weird. not. Yeah. And the the thing that was really brutal and a lot of survivors of these places talk about, it's called OBS and it's observation. And um, on page like 170, uh, she describes going to it where she says, OBS was an oddly shaped cinder block chamber, not square, not circular, a hexagon maybe, about the size of a public restroom. There was nothing in there except a bucket and a roll of toilet paper on the cement floor near a drain hole. 
In the light of the open door, I saw blood and feces smeared on the wall. When the door slammed shut, the only light filtered through a small window with wire mesh inside the glass. It was freezing cold. I read somewhere recently that they keep it between 55 and 60 degrees, but it felt as raw and frigid as a meat locker. They took your underwear and bra when you went to OBS so you couldn't use them to kill yourself. Sometimes they gave girls shorts and a tank shirt made of some sort of gauzy muslim. Other times not. I don't remember having anything on the first time. So sometimes children would be sent to these solitude cells completely naked Um, Sometimes they would have very little clothing and you could get sent there for, I mean, really any reason that they decided to come up with at these, quote unquote, once again, emotional growth boarding schools. (laughs) Yeah. What a joke. Who are these people and how do they get that many people together that are okay doing this to children? Who runs this place? Is it still in existence? If you tell me this is still around. Some of them have shut down. Uh, They still exist to this day, though. Yes. Who? Okay. Who runs these, Donald Trump? (laughs) I was thinking about, I kind of struggled with, like, if I should go more in depth with these places, but I kind of thought if we did a Dr. Phil episode, because these are the episodes, like, I remember a lot of these episodes. I wanted to be able to talk mostly about Paris in this. I mean, obviously, I'm talking a ton about these centers, but I would love to give this episode to Paris Hilton. And But I do want us to do an episode on these because there is a lot of research that needs to be done and should be done and should be shared. There's a part where I actually teared up because, one, the fact that she lived through this is incredible. And then the fact that she is sharing all of that because this is she should not be embarrassed about any of it. But a lot of times when you've gone through sexual assault, there is embarrassment. Yeah. It's not you don't deserve to feel that way. But it can be there. And so the fact that she is like sharing all of this, you know, ho- hopefully it's it's helping her, but also because it could help other women and girls. And I mean, boys and men were sent here too. Like it, it's incredible. And she went to one of these places to protest and all of everybody was like trying to keep the kids inside. And then they heard somebody say something like, what the fuck is Paris Hilton doing here? And I actually got teary because I feel like If you were stuck in that absolute hellhole, even if you didn't know that Paris Hilton had gone there, I I honestly think, though, knowing a celebrity is like being like, this is going to get coverage. Right. You would. This is coming out of the dark. Yeah. And I, I seriously, I'm almost tearing up now talking about it, but it was so powerful. And she talks about it, too, of just being like this really empowering moment. Of being like, oh, my God, Paris Hilton is here. And it's incredible. So she's testified in front of the legislature demanding more government oversight of these youth residential treatment centers. And she's worked with lawmakers on like the Accountability for Congregate Care Act, which broadly speaking would ensure that children in these care facilities have rights and are protected from abuse. She's also done a lot of other charity work that is not brought up a ton like there's impact which helps girls who she kind of talks about like the the girls who need to be seen the most helps with like building self-confidence and whatnot but um this is like only scratching the surface of what happens in the book at these facilities it was genuinely like reading a horror movie or reading reading a horror book because she would escape and you would just be like oh my god i hope it's done i hope it's done and i mean she like escapes it something like four times and just keeps being sent back and i mean at some of these like children have died 
I would not doubt it. At one of the facilities, she talks about how uh, there was a pedophile who abused and killed some of the boys. One of the psychiatrists also would sexually abuse children. She lists some of the, the children who died. And I think it is important to talk about them as well. In this is from her book as well. Um, she writes it out. May 1990, female 15 died while hiking after reporting symptoms of dehydration for two days, left on dirt road for 18 hours. Uh, September 2000, male 15 held face down in the dirt for 45 minutes, died of severed artery in the neck. February 2001, male 14 attempted to commit suicide, severing artery with camp issue pocket knife. Knife was not taken away, hanged himself in his tent the following day. July 2002, male 14 died of heat stroke um, exertion while hiking. Staff member hid behind a tree to observe if he was, quote, faking it. Checked her pulse after child lay motionless for more than 10 minutes. November 2004, male 15 forced to wear 20-pound sandbag around his neck as punishment for being too weak, collapsed and died. Autopsy revealed bruises over entire body. So, okay, so autopsies are being done. Why is it that no one's being charged for any of these? Once again, probably because I'm talking about it so much in this episode, I should have done more research. No, it's fine. I just, my mind is blown and I'm angry. I want us to cover this more when we talk about Dr. Phil and whatnot. We will. I think a lot of it is because of the trickiness of how how these places, like the government oversight and lack of oversight and that it seems like it kind of exists in this weird spot between like both private and public where like, I mean, it's getting taxpayer money, but it also seems like they have so much that they can really easily hide. But how is murder? Okay. Like no matter what, that's what it's just blowing my mind right now that like kids can be dying and it's like, Oh, well their parents signed their rights away or whatever. So it's, it's fine. Like, I just, I don't get, I don't get it. <laughs> I'm angry and confused. We will, we'll definitely be doing more research on this. Yes. Um, it upsets me that any facility like this, like any of them are still open. I'm definitely, if I, I I'm definitely going to look into more ways I can like support any sort of legislature. Yeah. Because this truly is the, you're, you're taking the children, like children who need care and love the most some of them yes are like rich kids Uh, a lot of them are like kids from foster care where it's just like we don't know where to put them so it's it's horrific it's absolutely disgusting and horrific and never should have happened and should not still be happening and she has been doing some really incredible work to try and get these places shut down she said that what really kick-started her into activism was one time Obviously, like after she was out, she just happened to look up one of the centers because she was like, it has to be closed by now. And she was horrified to find that it wasn't. And then what's terrible, and she talks about this a lot in her book, is that one of the things that abusers do so well is that they make victims feel guilty and ashamed for not taking action. Uh Uh-huh. So she was talking about she felt so ashamed and guilty about it happening, but then also about like not having done anything when it's like, no, like you should be allowed to not have to do anything and to focus on healing and being okay. But that is how abusers get away with things. Yeah, exactly. 
so I'm sorry. This episode is incredibly heavy. I was not expecting it reading her book. And she talks about it, and obviously in her book, but she also, I watched part of her documentary called This is Paris. And a lot of it is focused on this, of course. It's incredibly emotional. Um, It's incredibly well done. And I would highly recommend the memoir, the documentary. And then when you need to laugh about something, simple life. Yeah, I don't, I'm like trying to think of how to transition out of that. And I also, I feel like worried I'm not doing enough, but it's so much. And I also don't want to just read the entire book out loud. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's like, but you've cited, you know, you've got the memoir and the documentary and those really cover it in more depth. I think you're doing a great job for like what we're doing here, which is mostly to kind of compare what we remember about her with what we know now sort of thing. We're not documentarians. We're not <laughs> we're not equipped to handle that. We're no. barely doing this podcast. So Paris deserves better than us trying to <laughs> tackle that. Truly. Truly. Although you are doing a great job. I didn't mean that to Thank make you. Like a, no, a no. Slam. It's I struggled with writing my notes for this because so much of what I knew I was going to say was very emotional and also a lot of it was burned in my brain, but then like, I I'm finding holes in that. I'm sorry. I, I wanted this episode. I know it's funny to say it on like what our podcast is. Cause it's most of the time pretty silly, but it, this episode does mean a lot to me. And so I am sorry for any errors or any faults. I'm trying my best. Let's, let's continue. Okay. There, there's a little bit more bad. Okay. I want to talk about the last I mean, probably not the last bad thing, but one of the last really bad things before kind of going into some more cultural stuff about media at this time period. Do you remember when the Paris Hilton uh, sex tape was released? Kind of, yes. So that was something where revenge porn wasn't talked about as a thing. Mm, Yeah. And I mean, she wasn't the only person in it. No. But- she is the person that people are like, wow, what a whore. She wasn't the one who released it. Yeah. And she talks about how like she she is like rather modest and she didn't even want to make a sex tape. But at the time, uh, the boyfriend she was with, he had been pressuring her to do it. And so she got really, really drunk. So she was able to. And then years, years later, it got released and she was like, yeah. I I uh, bet it made a lot of money, but not for me. And one of the things she says is that she's like, it really upsets her when people say that she did it as like a publicity stunt or something. Because here's the thing, regardless what you think of Paris Hilton, she is a brilliant business person. And I'm starting to realize that. <laughs> she points out that if she were to have released, consensually released her sex tape, she would have been getting fucking paid for it. And she would have been like, yeah, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. Seems a little bit weird that she wouldn't be benefiting from it financially or that her reputation wouldn't be benefiting from it either. She didn't get anything good out of it. Exactly. Exactly. And so she has this, another quote, really you, I will, I will buy you this book. No, I will buy it. I will pay Paris to read that. I have no problem giving her my money so that she can shut down those terrible fucking places. There's like horror factories. Yeah. 
So this is a, a highlight I had on page 210, and it says, the world thinks of me as a sex symbol. And I'm here for that because symbol literally means icon. But when people saw that sex tape, they didn't say icon, they said slut. They said whore. And they weren't shy about it. The ironic thing is, because of the abuse and degradation I survived as a teen, and maybe partly because of the way I was raised, I feared sex. I hated the idea of sex. I avoided sex until it was absolutely unavoidable. I hate it. <laughs> I hate it so much. And that's so awful. It's awful for her because that was taken from her. After suffering so much sexual violence to then have a former partner do this is disgusting. And yeah. understandably, she has talked about having a lot of trust issues, which makes sense because it, like she can't fully trust her parents. No. Even. No. So her family various members of her family let her down over and over again. And then a partner that I assume she trusted did that to her. So how how would you yeah. trust anybody? Yeah. I mean, first he pressured her into it, which yeah. is disgusting, and then released it. In the 2000s, paparazzi, the paparazzi job was built around Paris Hilton pretty much. Mm-hmm. A photo of her could go for, in a day, a single photo, 50000 to a million dollars. Oh my gosh. So paparazzi culture, culture, I don't, media culture, mm-hmm. uh, tabloid culture exploded. Yeah. And there, there's a guy who was in, like, in charge of, I don't know, one company or another who talked about how like he built his empire on Paris Hilton. The amount of money that was brought in, mind-boggling. And that's why you would see like paparazzos having fights and shit, mm-hmm. because if somebody fucked up your chance to get a $500,000 photo, insane. But yeah, it went from like paparazzi being sort of like chill and a few of them being like, can you do a Healy trick to just madness? Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I don't know where I was going with that. Just madness, frankly. Oh, I remember. Do you remember the picture of... And we'll post it. It is a picture from like page six, which vomit of a girl Paris. And there's Lindsay Lohan in it. And there's I Britney knew Spears. That's the one you were going to talk about. Yes, I do. So super shitty because over that in huge letters, it says Bimbo Summit. Oh, really? <laughs> Fuck's sake. Yeah. The one thing though that I do love about this part is she talks about how like iconic that photo has become and people have like put it on mugs and t-shirts. And then she's like, my favorite is that people without like the text have put it on like those car window shades. <laughs> so it almost is like recreate. And I amazing. <laughs> died. That's brilliant. I do love that is brilliant. I'm going to get us each one. Yes, please. That's amazing. What a good idea. I love that because that is an iconic photo. I knew exactly the one you were going to talk about. And she says, she has this, oh my God, I'm reading so many quotes from her book. (laughs) Uh, It says, I didn't love the wording, but my bangs look super cute. How often can you nail that really? Bangs are tricky. The pap was right. It was an instant classic. All these years later, I still see these pictures on t-shirts, posters, birthday cards, copy cups, boxer shorts, glittery clutch purses, all kinds of merch. My favorite is that fold out laminated sunshade that goes inside your windshield when it's hot. That's so amazing. It's so incredible. Oh my gosh. I need it. I will absolutely get it for the both of us. She really seems to have a good sense of humor and be able to laugh at herself as well, just from what you've been telling me. Yes. 
I also think that at least I did, but I, I feel like in general, everybody during like the 2000s sort of thought like the joke was on Paris, like the bimbo summit. And Mm -hmm. then in house of wax, they advertised it as watch Paris die. And here's the thing. The joke has never been on Paris. She's like, Nope. She says in her book, she's like, I know why they did that. And pretty much it was smart advertising. Like I understand it. I mean, I don't think she really comments on whether she liked it or not, or if it felt good, but like, she got it and was like, yeah, it's probably good advertising. Yeah. So I think we were all thinking we were so clever and she was just this airhead, but uh, no, uh, she has a skincare line that I was going to try some of it while reading this sold out like everywhere. It looks incredible. It looks so incredible. I bet it is. So skincare line uh, is doing incredible. Her perfumes have made somewhere from like 2.5 to 3 billion dollars holy shit yeah billion like the difference between billion and million is like i cannot it it is so vast it cannot be explained (laughs) um she has had various i mean she like every single kind of line she has it seems like she has uh also her own hotels and i'm not even talking about hilton oh although she is in that really funny hilton commercial right now with the pink waffles that i do love yes i have yeah she has her own hotels she talked about as a kid that she and uh at the time like before her brothers were born she and her sister would go to like a lot of what would seem like for kids really boring events that her parents were attending for business. And she said she actually loved it. Like she loved to listen in. And I just really thought it was so cool how, yes, being privileged and coming from money, it helps you make more money. It helps get your foot in the door. But I really love that. Like you can't say she didn't work hard. No. She went to her grandfather, like she talks about like going to her grandfather and going for her dad for business advice and being really clear about her goals. Her grandfather asked her like what her goals were and one of them, she was like, I want to make a hundred million dollars. I want to do this and that. She had big goals and was not meek about them. And I think that's badass. Absolutely. I love that. And then, uh, you know, she also on top of all of those projects has been doing some really good, like I said, advocacy work. And I knew we would do a Paris Hilton episode. I was not expecting this. No, I wasn't either. I thought it would be much more cute and fun and, oh, wasn't the simple life silly? And I'm I'm shocked. I'm shooked, as the kids say. Shooketh. Yeah, <laughs> truly. I also expected to talk more about just the sexism and horribleness that was like 2000s (laughs) media and tabloid but i'm like we might actually have to save that for its own episode i am gonna read her memoir (laughs) her memoir i am going to read her memoir i do know how to say that word yes yeah make sure it's uh the new one because there is an older one from 2004 2007 something mm, 2014 i I don't there's an older one this one one is okay yeah Make sure you get the new one. I think I would like to kind of end on these two quotes. I'm going to read them together. So pretend there's like a little ellipses somewhere where you guys can't tell because you're not looking at my phone. <laughs> but 
It says, I know we're supposed to spin terrible things to make it sound like they were actually good, but that's bullshit. That heart attack did not save your life. Cancer is not a gift. Your abuser did not give you strength. Terrible things are terrible. Let's just acknowledge it. If you found strength or wisdom or a new way of thinking, that's awesome. But notice that the strength, wisdom, and new worldview came out of you, which means it was there inside you to begin with. The people who hurt you don't get the last word. You get to tell the story of you, and your story has more power than you can imagine. Okay, I lied. This might have to be actually the quote that I end on for the Paris Hilton episode. If you know in your heart that you're hot, you are hot according to the laws of hotness physics. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I was embarrassed for how harshly I judged her. Granted, Mm -hmm. I would like to say during the early 2000s, I was a child and preteen, but still it was, there was a lot of women hating in the media in 2000s and it was just so easy to jump on board. And some of it was even like, slanted in this let's pretend it's feminist so it's okay way but it's not yeah no it felt very comfortable to hate on other women for a while there and i am ashamed of that so i am really incredible like i'm really incredible i'm really (laughs) (laughs) i'm really incredible god damn i am really glad i read this incredible memoir (laughs) and That is what I meant to say. And I think it's important to like to educate yourself, even if you think it's going to be a silly topic. If you're like, I can't believe I'm going to look up the original it girl or something. You know, if you have the time, highly recommend doing it because uh, you might suck less in the end. That's beautiful. (laughs) I feel like I suck less. I think we all suck less, just a little bit less. Uh, I'll just little update. She is now married to Carter Ream who does something with billion-dollar startups and whatnot. And they've had their first baby, whose name is Phoenix. Yeah, I did see that she had a baby recently. That's exciting. Yeah, she seems to be very happy about being a mother, and it seems like it's something she's wanted. So that's excellent. And I am just... I'm so glad I took the time to read this and reevaluate what I thought I knew. I am too. This was very surprising in the best way. Like I said, I would highly, highly recommend the memoir. It's really funny. It's really poignant. And then, yeah, I mean, she does not shy away from, from the dark bits. There's also a lot of grace given to people that I don't think deserve it, but that is not my choice to make. Mm -hmm. And that's all I'll say on that part. This was like reverse ruining our childhood. Yeah, this was like opposite effect. We took something that was like Not necessarily negative, but like we did have negative feelings towards her as kids. And now I'm just like, you are my life coach. (laughs) Teach me your ways. (laughs) Teach me your ways. Yeah, it's it's incredible. I didn't even like there's so much more that I could have gotten into about like she talks, she has ADHD and she talks about that and why she got kicked out of school a lot was probably because of her ADHD. And Ah. she talks about how probably a lot of kids and those horrible facilities had things like ADHD and they just needed proper treatment and not shockingly didn't need torture. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's really cool hearing her talk about mental health and as somebody who has ADHD talking about ADHD and sexual assault and healing and surviving and also the advocacy work she's done and I feel like I've just been repeating myself for the last 20 minutes but I just really admire her same I am shocked I'm appalled not at her I'm gonna read that damn memoir 
probably watch the documentary too. Maybe watch another cooking video. <laughs> the cooking video was delightful. It was a very relatable. It was stressing me out though. It was relatable, but it was stressing me out a lot. Which yeah, I think that the relatableness <laughs> is why it was stressing me out. Yes. The amount of times I've been like, oh, this isn't, uh, this is slightly the wrong ingredient or something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. She briefly had this like cooking with Paris. Uh, going through her Wikipedia page, I almost feel like I should have done a two-parter on Paris Hilton because there is just so much to cover. I didn't even talk about how like now she's DJing and has been for a while and had like a residency in Ibiza and was named um, like the best female DJ. And she talks about how she wants to someday just be named the best DJ and drop the female part. Yeah, she DJs. Oh my gosh. Yeah, she's been in like uh, Demi Lovato videos. Uh, I think she DJed at something for like maybe Miley Cyrus. Oh my gosh. I can't quite recall. And then, yeah, she's had her cooking with Paris video, but she is just truly a delight. Yeah. Well, and it seems like when she wants to try something, she just does it. Well, she has this really cool quote about failing being not a thing, pretty much. Success is never final. Failure is never fatal. Oh, that's advice that her great-grandfather gave her grandfather, who then in turn gave her. Yes. Success is never final. Failure is never fatal. Oh, nice. So when you think about it, like, I mean, she went to these horrific camps, what would have been, I think, like her sophomore year. And so she... Obviously, like her parents were shocked when they found out because these these things are like, oh, we're educational. You'll get credit. This does not transfer to college. So they were shocked after spending <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars that like, no, these won't transfer. Like she hasn't really completed high school. So, I mean, all of this she's done. And yes, I know she has the backing of insane wealth and whatnot, but still being wealthy it gives you opportunities and it gives you connections. But she still had to teach herself how to DJ and you might be like, oh, that's not a lot. But like, look it up. Like, it's it's harder than you think. There are a lot of people who who do fake it, but it actually takes a lot more technique if you're legitimately doing it mm-hmm. than, than you might assume. And yeah, like coming up with all of the various business ventures and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. The money can get you connections and a safety net, but like you do still have to do the thing. Right. And it doesn't seem like she's just sitting back and diving into a pool of gold pennies or whatever. She's doing things with her wealth and privilege, and she's doing things specifically to help other kids that were in her position. And I think that says a lot. Yeah. And I mean, frankly, if I had the same amount of money as her, I probably would also have an entire house in my backyard for my dogs like she does. I mean, like she has insane amounts of wealth. I can't hate on her for spending it on things that I cannot afford because I'm like, look, it's just rich people have done worse things. Right. Yeah. She's trademarked uh, like sliving and that's hot, which kind of cracks me up. But also, once again, it's just like it's a smart business move. Yeah. No, she knows what works. She knows what works. And I did kind of find it refreshing to read about a celebrity who wasn't pretending that they didn't like money. Yeah, that's almost more annoying, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, she talks about impact, for instance. She's like, it makes no money, but it's like one of the most important things I do. But then she also talks being very upfront about like telling her grandfather, like, I want to make $100 million. Yeah. And I'm like, set goals. Shit, like set goals. Right. Do the damn thing. Do the damn thing. And she has done the damn thing a lot. All the damn things. All the damn things. This could have been a three-parter. Does it, yeah, let's, you know, is this just a Paris podcast from now on? 
It's just a Paris podcast. Just a Paris podcast. That's a pretty good title, actually. <laughs> she has a podcast too, of course. <gasps> of course. You she know does. who would maybe listen if this was just a Paris podcast is we could maybe get Ash from Morbid to listen. <gasps> Ash, please come listen to our Paris episode. And other ones if you wanted to. Like that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. this desperate? This feels desperate. It's very desperate, but we love you a lot. Yeah. We really like you and we really like Paris. And we also talked about astrology, and we know you like that too. Tell me, tell me about being a Sagittarius. Tell you about, oh yeah, her, yeah, right, got it. Yeah, you already told me. I was like <laughs> getting my phone. I was like, well, I'll tell you more <laughs> if you want. <laughs> Just bring, thank you, thank you, Riley. I, I had your back, but then I'm like, oh, she's not asking me. <laughs> she's not asking me. No, we have a slight correction from the Barbie episode. <sighs> oh, yep. Yeah. Is this about the text? Yes. We really hurt someone in our family. Mm -hmm. Her name is Mutt. We actually did own a Barbie camper. And I just want to say from both of us, we are so sorry. We're sorry for the lies. The lies. Betrayal. Yep. The disrespect. We didn't check our sources, which was mom. She's right there. We could have been like, hey, were there other Barbie vehicles we own? But we did not do that. We chose not to do that and we'll live with those choices mm -hmm. we'll try and be better in the future and for anybody else that we hurt by saying that we did not own the barbie camper when in fact we did we are sorry to you as well i feel like this might hit justin pretty hard he i was just thinking about him he sweet baby justin did a double binge of the barbie episode into lisa frank and he sent me the sweetest text about how he could just tell how passionate we were about them. And he really enjoyed listening. And now it's like, well, that is an empire built on lies. Yeah. And the lies are being stored in our Barbie camper. He trusted us. You guys all trusted us. All three of you trusted us and we let all three of you down. But even more so, we let ourselves down and each other down. <laughs> Have we been doing this bit too long? Should we end the bit? Yeah, we've been doing it too long. Okay. <laughs> well, I just want to say that's hot and you're hot. And I'm hot. And if you're hot, you're hot. It's math. It's just math. Thank you, Paris. We love you. This is your podcast now. She's like, no thanks. <laughs> She's like, ooh, I have good business sense, <laughs> yeah. so I don't think so. I know a bad deal when I see it. And you guys can keep your podcast. Your PCAST. PCAST? Why do you say that? Because I okay, know you we should go. It. Okay, bye. I do hate it. Bye. <laughs> Love you. Love you. You've reached Sid and Riley. We can't come to the phone right now. So leave a message after the beep. Ruining Our Childhood was filmed in front of a live studio audience. Psych. But it is produced by us, Riley and Cassidy. With music by Joseph Tuna Medish. You can follow us on Instagram at ruiningourchildhoodpod. Or send us an email at ruiningourchildhoodpod at gmail.com. Support the show through our coffee account, ko-fi.com slash ruiningourchildhoodpodcast. Later! Later.